What would it take to arouse your life, to experience more connection, more pleasure, more realness in and outside of the bedroom? I'm August McLaughlin, and this is Girl Boner Radio. Overcoming sexual trauma through reclaiming your sexuality. This topic is so important and under-addressed, as you will learn from today's guest, who has turned her own trauma into advocacy for others, and she is helping to transform so many lives. We will be talking about rape, sexual assault, and related topics that may be sensitive for some folks, so as always, please take care of yourself first. And if you haven't yet, remember to sign up for Occasional Extras by email at augustmclaughlin.com. I send updates about once a month featuring news about upcoming events, special discounts, and free gifts, and more. Now I'm so pleased to welcome Kim Lee Smith to the show. Kim Lee is a best-selling author, international speaker, accomplished actress, storyteller, life coach, sex-positive sexual assault advocate, and the founder of the Embrace Your Cape philosophy— She is dedicated to helping people discover their personal superhero, own their story, reclaim their power, and find emotional freedom. And she has an incredible show coming up that I can't wait to see. Thank you for joining me, Kim Lee. Thank you for having me. Oh, that was lovely. Thank you. I feel blessed to be in your presence, as I did when I met you. Uh, You have a very vivacious spirit, and you're just so warm and loving and funny and kind and... and, uh, when I met you, we got to participate in this really fun live game show, board yes. game, uh, You Don't Know My yeah. Life. And what was so um, powerful about it was learning more about your story afterward because your empowerment and your strength is really hard one. And I just, I respect you and your work so much. Well, thank you. And um, likewise, I just remember kind of an instant rapport and connection and I don't feel that there are any mistakes in life and I feel like the two of us just kind of like glommed on to each other mm. in a really good way and um, got to have this opportunity to be together and uh, to share stories even more so I'm psyched to be here thank you Yay. so what did you learn about sex and sexuality when you were like a little kid did you have sex ed do you remember learning any kind of Funny myth. (laughs) It's so funny because I was born and raised in Japan and uh, moved to the States when I was 10. And at 10 years old, you go to the States and I'm a very different woman or little girl at that time because I'm not raised as a traditional American. And so there's just different culturalization inside of me. And my mom and dad were fantastic, but I never, ever saw them touch. Ever. And so I was, gosh, kind of a really late bloomer. You know what I mean? I didn't start my period until I was 16. So I didn't get any of the the stuff that happens once you start your period, you know? So mm-hmm. I was um, a late bloomer. So I was always kind of a nerd ball. Didn't really date. Guys always liked me, but then they always thought I was dating somebody else. So I never really had anything. So as a child growing up w- when you're raised with people that don't really have a kind of emotional connection or uh, intimate, like kissing or loving. So I didn't know really what that felt like. So I didn't really learn much around that. My parents were old school, so we didn't talk about sex at all, not even a little bit. So I don't think I learned anything about that. All through experience later, which is so common. Yeah. You know, there's so much stigma around it. And and you're such an affectionate person. So that must have been an interesting contrast. Yeah, I think I was the one that kind of, 
brought the love into my family. I'd make people hug. I'd always, like, I'm such a touchy, touchy person, total Sagittarius. Like, just love, 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 all kind of fire all the time. So I was always... I had a sexual energy in me. My mom would always say, sit like a lady, sit like a lady. you got to close your legs and sit like a lady, sit like a lady. So there was, you know, a stigma even around just being, you know, hey, open to just sitting however you want. You know, as a girl, you're supposed to sit with your legs crossed or your ankles crossed and be all proper and quite lovely. And I wasn't quite that girl. Yeah. It wasn't really that because I was so open, but I ended up squashing so much of my openness because sit like a lady 150th time, you start <laughs> to think you're not a lady if you don't sit like a lady. So Right. It's a very a, weird mixed message is. that we get. It is. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, because I know personal experience fuels so much of your work and really, um, I wouldn't say planted the seeds, but your your response to what happened to you is what has led to so much um, life-changing, life-saving advocacy. Could you share a bit about your life before the assault happened? Okay. What What were you like? Um, what was happening? I know you were in college. Well, I, um, as you know, <laughs> I was a girl with just lots of energy, lots of positive energy. I was raised in a way that we didn't really judge, especially coming from Japan. So I didn't even know there was racism until I came to the States. And I didn't even really know there was racism when I came to the States until I grew up. And then people were like, you know, they had an issue with my color. But growing up, I just never looked at anybody differently. I never judged. My mother and father both taught us that judgment is not ours. And we just never did. So I had friends of all races. All like I was friends with the potheads as much as I was with the popular kids. And I was popular. I was a cheerleader, really good student, like not the best student, but like, you know, a straight A and B student to say, you know what I mean? Like I was somewhere there, maybe a couple of C's in math. Math was not my jam. I was more of the creative girl. So I just had a massive ball of energy and if you read my yearbook, you'd be like, oh, my God, that girl was loved. And so I was really loved. But if I'm to be super honest, I was always really, really afraid of boys. And I think it came from because I was a late bloomer, but also my body wasn't. So I always had big boobs and um, they all noticed it, but I didn't really get it. And they'd always say, oh, my God, you got some nice um, pecs. And I thought they were talking about my biceps. So I was like, oh, thank you. You know, I'd always be so cute. But they'd be like, oh, my God, your pecs are so cool. But so I was such a nerd ball around men. So I really didn't have sex in high school. Like, I wasn't that girl. I was the girl that nobody chose or nobody picked or nobody kissed and not because they didn't like me but just because I was such a powerful energy right nobody thought I was available in a weird way and also like I think even at a young age I was slightly intimidating because I was so confident and so bright and also people would tell me their life stories even then which is why I know I'm doing what I'm meant to do in this lifetime because my mother would have to pick people away from me, adults that were telling me their stories. And I'm five. So um, I was just a ball of everything. And so when I went to college, um, I just remember right before I went to college, I went on a date with a friend of mine. It was like my first date. And it was right after high school graduation. And like I had such a crush on him. His birthday's the same day as mine. Hi, Randy kid. I'm saying hi to you because I know you're out there. And he was the guy. And he's in my show as well. And so when I wrote my show, I asked him, I said, can I put you in my show? He's like, sure. But I remember him trying to kiss me. And I was petrified because it was like the kind of kiss that you knew could have ended up in the thing that I had never done before. So... um My freshman year of college, you know, especially when you haven't had a lot of experience with men or boys, you 
are kind of nerdy and innocent and very, very... Everybody thought I probably had experience, but I didn't. So it was my first sexual experience being gang raped. And I just remember, because I repressed it for eight years, um, I didn't remember, but I knew something was off, even though I didn't know something was off. Like, Mm. I couldn't really have normal sex. I was paralyzed for most of that. I was very hysterically paralyzed. I, you know, there was something about... The thing I say the most is that you cannot get your innocence back. You can reclaim a lot. And my very first sexual experience was being gang raped at 17. And because I started school in Japan at four, I was a year younger than everybody else. So the answer to the question is I was um, love and light and laughter. So you were who you are now, but yeah. a, a younger um, version with a lot of almost naivete about yes, certain things, yes. which I think is really easy to do when, when we learn nothing. And then it was interesting what you were saying about, you know, the kiss is going to happen and you're like, it could lead to that secret mystical thing. Dang, the thing nobody's done yet. Yeah. Dun, dun, dun. But even the first kiss, like oh. I remember being so, I didn't know what to do. Do like you see it on TV and it looks very natural, easy, right? Yeah, but I'm pretty sure I just stood there like Uh, all stiff and weird. I think we still do that. Even like when you really, really like somebody and you have that first kiss, that is the most beautiful, powerful moment you can ever have because it's let up and you can't wait. And like when you're a kid, oh my god, I have chills right now. When you're a kid, did you kiss your wall like a thousand times in your wrist? And <laughs> I like, kissed my knee. Oh my I god. kissed trees. Oh my god. I, like Sometimes <laughs> I'll be like in my bathroom even as a grown up and like, oh. And I'll do the fake kiss on my hand. But like we really have this expectation because we don't talk about sex at all. And my biggest, biggest like mission right now is to really break this um sexual dysfunction that we have in this society. And I'm not talking about whips and chains. I'm talking about just regular sex and what is dirty and what is not dirty, what is normal, what is not normal. If I had had any kind of idea that me going into a dorm room with three guys who said they wanted to play cards with me would lead to gang rape, probably wouldn't have done it. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, probably would have made a different choice. Did I, just a joke. Although but it's true. you were... You and should be able to go and play cards. Exactly. But I mean, the those thing people is, should not is be you don't even, like, you if you don't have any concept of sexuality and yeah. sex. You don't have the gut instinct. You don't even have the gut instinct. Yeah, yeah. I, even to be like, eh, maybe we should do it in the lobby instead. You know what I right. mean? Right. I had no even concept that it was possible. Which might be, sadly, why people, I mean, people search for people yeah. who have some naivete oh, or, without or a doubt. you know, people who are more vulnerable. And I also think, you know, and I'm... <laughs> Do I say this on a podcast? Let's say, uh, I, you know, that the old saying that hurt people hurt people. And there's just this cycle of hurt that is perpetual in our society. I haven't met a man in years that has not been broken in one, some way, shape or form or said that they weren't a man or did it been really, really hurt. And so if all you see in pornography, if all you see in all this stuff is like, oh, girls just love to be slapped with the dick and they love to be fucked really hard and they want to get raped. What do you think is real? Because they're learning nothing else. Yeah. The thing that's accessible yeah, it's, is usually like 
and hardcore mainstream hardcore. porn. And of course, you're going to look for something to learn. I mean, it's yes. it's not supposed to be education. But well, if you don't have anything else, of course, they're going to Google yeah. and find things. And then because we also have this stigma around talking about yeah. sex, they're not going to ask Who someone are they gonna like ask? that. Even if they're like, yeah. oh, is, th- is this real? And not only that, it's like this weird thing where... You know, when porn force started, it was educational. It was meant to help people explore sexually in a way that was beautiful. And now we're in a place where, like, anybody can throw up a video, you know, playing with their pussy, doing whatever. Like, everybody's doing whatever, which is great. Do your thing. But if there's no other kind of education, which I had none. You know, you think of our <laughs> our health classes back in the day. Oh, it was my like, gosh. This is a cucumber. You put the condom on the cucumber. <laughs> do not have sex until you are married. Are you well Hi. Yeah, if like, you, yeah, <laughs> you will be pregnant instantly. Oh, you know what I mean? Like there was yeah. so many, so much stigma, and yes. so very fear-based. Fear-based. Very, basically, don't do anything. anything. Like parts might feel good, but don't do it because yeah. it's so dangerous. So that's that's not helpful. We know, know that's like, not helpful. It's not like boys get to you know they got their penis and it's out of them and they are rubbing that thing from the day it like does a little harder. You know, oh that it gets hard. Wow. Wouldn't you if it was sitting Oh right my there? God, I wish we had known that back in the right? day. If someone had said, like, we would rub our coochie thing on things. Yeah, the clearest. But like, we would rub ourselves and it would yeah. feel so good, but we didn't understand yeah. it. You're We're, like, this pillow is really yeah. fun to ride on. Uh, it's like a toy. And your mom would be like, don't do that. That's, that's dirty. <laughs> right? Yeah. So then you think, oh, I should never touch, touch it, it then. Because it's just Completely. dirty. Yeah, yeah. It's wild. It's wild. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to go off on a tangent. No, I love yes. this. Absolutely. Such important points. I'm, I'm curious about the repression. I have loved ones who've who've gone through that, and I know it's it's your brain protecting you. Yeah, but not everybody understands quite what that is. Could you speak to repression and also your experience with um, when things started to surface for you? Okay, um, I remember right after it happened, and uh, I got up out of the hallway, and there was blood rolling down my legs. I was like, "Ah, oh, shit!" I started my period, so I go up to my dorm room and shower and do whatever I did. And I remember a friend of mine, Becky. Hi, Becky. And she literally was like, "Oh my god, those guys said that you had a threesome with them." And I was like, "What are you talking about?" Like, I had no concept that anything sexual happened that night at all. It was almost like a blackout. It was a complete blackout. Like my mind shut it down, shut it out, pushed it out, pushed it so far away. There was no concept of it. So I went through college. Remember, this is my freshman year, 17. I went through the rest of college. I became Miss Emporia, went to the Miss Kansas pageant, was a cheerleader, got my degree in psychology, did all of those things, moved to Chicago. And the whole time I lived in Chicago, I was in full repression. I was super self-destructive sexually because in sex I'd become completely hysterically paralyzed where maybe they call it, um, what's the word, repressed in a way where they I could have sex, but I couldn't feel anything. You were dissociating. Dissociating, but I was actually literally physically paralyzed, like my body. Oh, you know what I, mean? I like, know what you're talking about. Yeah, could yeah, not like move. The, almost like the sleep paralysis yeah. where you wake up and you... Yeah, you exactly. They could move me. I could move, but I was out of it and also physically out of it. And so I spent all those years, and then I was in a relationship with a guy that I really... One of the first guys I felt kind of comfortable with... And I remember starting to have these dreams, these flashbacks. And I was like, what in the hell is happening? And I started seeing dicks and sex and all of these things in my dream. And in my mind, I'm like, what is happening? Like, during that time, yeah, I'd had sex since then. I thought I was a you know virgin until I was 21. And I had my first sex in Chicago at 21. But honestly, 
I, so much of those years I don't really remember. Like I was in things, and there's people I remember, men that I was with, but it wasn't like a conscious reality. It wasn't like mm-hmm. a conscious choice in a way. And so I just started having these dreams. And so I started going to therapy, but being a psych, you know, I had a psych degree, a degree in psychology, and I just knew more than all of them. I thought all of the therapists that I talked to were idiots. And I'll be honest, like they were idiots. Like I was coaching them by the end of sessions, okay? And so a friend of mine had suggested um, going to hypnotherapist. I was like, no way. And so unbeknownst to her, I went and looked in the yellow pages and found one and went to one. And after eight years of repression, she helped me see what really happened. And that's where the revelation came. I don't remember any of it in the sense of being raped. It took going through the hypnotherapy. I don't really remember every detail, but I know exactly what happened, if that makes sense. It does. It sounds like, um, again, your brain protecting you in yeah. that you can know details, but you can't viscerally feel this again. Yeah. Which yeah. is which is a pr- it's, it's amazing a, what our brains can it do. It is. And I'm telling you what, had I, because I was such an innocent person, really, really naive, really innocent. I don't know that I could have made it. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I don't know that I could have made it. I'm sure I could have. I don't think we get anything that we can't handle. I know that this was, and I say this lightly for nobody else to take this on as theirs, but in my life I realized that this was inevitable and also part of my purpose, unfortunately, to be able to be the woman I am today, to be able to be this to the people that also may experience this. And I say this again, not for you, any of you to take this on as yours. This is mine, my journey, and I receive it, I respect it, I send love and light and healing to the boys who did this to me because they were hurting themselves to be able to put themselves in a situation to do that to me. That's their stuff to carry, but I don't go a day without sending them love so that they may have never done this to another person and found the healing that they needed to be the men that they should have been that they weren't. Mm -hmm. And as a child, for so many years, I carried that regret and that anger, 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 anger towards them for so long. And my biggest healing came from forgiving them, forgiving myself, forgiving my family, and forgiving the universe for putting that in front of me to know that this was my path to be able to be a healer for others. And that's that's kind of a crazy roundabout way to say that in some ways this is a weird blessing. I don't know what kind of woman I would have been without this because I don't have I don't have a life without this. I this is my life. It's who you are. It's who I am. It's part of my story and I honor that part of my story so that I can continue the work that I do. So to answer the question, which I can't even remember what it was now because I just went on the tangent, but to answer the question, it really yeah. is like that repression saved my life and the moment the dreams came back, the universe knew that I was going to be able to handle it. And did you Pretty much immediately, as you once you really realized what had happened, the repression part was over. Did you immediately feel that oh, wide openness, or was it like oh, no, a no, gradual no. process? Once I realized what happened, I was angry as fuck, and I um, just started being very—I wouldn't say promiscuous. Okay, yeah, I'd say being very promiscuous because I was like, "Fuck that! If that's all I'm worth, if I'm only worth being gang raped, then I'll fuck whoever I want. I'll do whatever I want. I'll." F- I was so um, angry inside. 
On the outside, everybody saw a really shiny, happy, beautiful person. I call that my squash down. Oh, my face was good. I did so much. I can't even believe how much I achieved in such duress and distress. But I was super, super successful. But I also was so self-destructive that I knew that if I didn't do what I needed to do to heal myself, I was going to blow like literally blow. So it took me many, many years to really deal with it because every time I went to a therapist, they really sucked. I, I, I have to be honest in saying this because I have a degree in psychology and because I'm a life coach, I've had so many people come to me who can't even tell their their therapist their truth. They're telling me their truth, but not their therapist. So find somebody that doesn't make you feel like shit and doesn't make you feel like you can't tell your whole truth and doesn't, like I would have therapists be like, oh, I saw you on a TV show today. How cool. So what else are you on? I'm like, I am not here for conversation. I'm here for healing. And I didn't get healing from any of the therapists I went through. It wasn't until I started writing that wow. changed my life. I was like, these women are fucking whack. And I wouldn't go see a man because I was like, there is no way I'll trust a man in this. Now I'm fine with that. But I'm like, it, it took me a decade, and, and I'll be honest, a decade to get healing because I couldn't find anybody that helped me because I'm also, you know, a little gifted in what I do. So it's really hard to find somebody that also has a gift to be able to give back to me. So very gifted. Yeah. And I think it's interesting, as you were saying, that you feel this is this is your purpose and mm-hmm. your journey. There's I think it's Toni Morrison said, if there's a book that you want to read, you have to write it. She said it more eloquently, yeah. but but that you have to create the thing that's missing. And yeah. I think it's really fascinating that you only met with therapists who were sounds like not competent and and you ended up becoming the healer do you feel like that was part of your process too that that you weren't meant to be with a good fit therapist you were Mm -hmm. meant to create the healing you're special aren't you yeah i you know i've known it from a young age and i'm I'm, look i'm not ooey wooey but i definitely am connected to my source and to the higher power like that's just always been a part of me since i was a child so when I wrote my one-woman show, because when I got my degree in psychology, I was like, this is some bullshit. I should have just went to school for acting. That would have been perfect. But when I wrote my show, I realized it was my acting, my dancing, my singing, and my psychology totally. all rolled up in one, right? Oh, it is. It's yes. so perfect. But like, <laughs> I'm telling you, people used to tell me their stories when I was a kid, and it never stopped. So for me to be where I'm at now, it's it's kismet it is Mm. divine but I think we spend we and I say we loosely but most of us spend most of our time running away from our truth trying to fit you know a square peg into a round hole and never getting there so I feel like the luckiest thing in the world for me to have done is to be able to have the revelation that all of this was meant to be to put all together and look you know the stats are huge the stats are huge because we have to find another way to change this because if the stats are still one in four and one in 16 we have got to find a way to change it but we the universe keeps saying okay here's, here's another person here's another person and so I feel like and this is not me being conceited in any way I feel like I have been put on this earth to change the way we see things, especially around sexual assault, especially around sexuality, especially around hurt people. And I'm telling you, you know, there's only one to four percent of perpetrators that are sociopaths or narcissists or in that world of incapable of understanding what they're doing. Everybody else has been hurt. 
And so if that is the real statistics, 96% of us have been hurt in some way that would make us be angry enough to do it to another person. Uh, I'm lucky enough to not have had to do that. Yeah. But I'm, you know, there's people that make the choice not to. Yeah. But there's a cycle of violence, of unhappiness, of unloving ourselves that this is what we have to turn to. I so appreciate you sharing that and, and with compassion for the people who are hurt to become the perpetrators, which of course you're not saying, oh no, condoning any behavior, but you're saying, we need to heal the hurt because we want to prevent this stuff yeah. for everybody's sake. Yeah, I was saying, I was speaking in Tracy, California. I love this group of people. Check out the Chest of Hope if you're in the area of Tracy, California. If you're a woman of assault or abuse or sexual assault, please look up Chest of Hope. They are there to help you, and they are a wonderful organization. And I was speaking up there, and it is kind of the mecca of um, human trafficking because you can go any direction, San Francisco, back to L.A. today. There's four different ports where you can get out of. And I was talking about talking to the DA out there and she has changed her building to not the what do they call it? Uh, The house of justice, but the house of healing and justice, Mm. because she realized that if she didn't start healing the perpetrators, she would continue the same cycle. She said, I keep seeing the same families, the same thing. Oh, I have chills again over and over again. And so she started working with men who buy children and she's healed 11 of them and to me that we put so much energy into helping the victim that we forgot that we can actually heal the baby perpetrator Yes. Do you understand what I'm saying? Which is so important. Which is so important. So like say you're the guy who got raped by your whatever if you don't have somebody to help you understand that that is wrong you are never you're going to end up in that same place and so it, it really struck me because I was like, oh, my God, we've put so much money into healing the victims. We forgot that we could heal the perpetrators so that we don't have victims. Right. So I had a revelation in that <laughs> reality. I was like, holy ball sacks. It's huge. Yeah, because huge. if we could address the desire yeah, or, to, you ha- know, to, to attack yes, someone or yes. or even to ex- to explain. Their, they they might think that they're expressing a healthy desire. You know, if yeah. they're sometimes they're they, they are still a teenager any, and yeah, it's they all they've they known, matter. and then they do the thing, and it becomes. But we only address it once they are pedophiles, meaning they have yes. broken the law. And if we could prevent it, you know, imagine <sighs> most people that have gone through childhood sexual trauma don't have the conversation of healing till they're twenty one, twenty two, twenty three, but they've already been molested at five, mm. at three, at two. We are not healing those babies who need to be healed so that they have a normal sexual concept. So they have normalcy in their life. But if that is all you know, that is all you know, male or female, I don't care who you are. That is all you know. And I say this with love. We have got to start looking into helping babies not continue this behavior. Absolutely. Because even at 17, I was sexually dysfunctional. Sexually dysfunctional until maybe okay maybe I'm still like no I'm just saying I still have it's a triggers I still have I mean I was just triggered you know in this year and I hadn't been triggered in like 15 years so it's still there because the moment I started being vulnerable then I was like oh shit if I'm not just having sex then I'm this woman who has to be vulnerable and possibly love so Mm -hmm. I guess what I'm saying is is that even if no sexual trauma or any kind of trauma has happened, you've got sexual dysfunction because we have a society that doesn't talk about it. Yes. And then 
tap on, now you've got sexual trauma. Imagine what we're not helping, how we're not helping. So I say that because I went through so many years of sexual trauma over and over again, even though I was having sex that I chose. It was still traumatic. Oh, totally. It was still unhealthy. It still wasn't coming from a place of loving myself. Mm. Right? Because you hadn't learned. And, and, you know, they say there are little T traumas. I think that a lack of sex education is a little T trauma. It's Because none of us get to know. I mean, if all we learn is that it's it's harmful and scary and dangerous and nothing about these desires we're having, nothing about these feelings and our bodies changing, you know, or that there's a a clitoris or (laughs) potential for pleasure or connection. Yeah. Yeah. And that that we should be able to love ourselves and touch our own bodies and have our own orgasms. I mean, you know, one of the things that really struck me about your email, we were going back and forth. You said, I feel the interview will take legs of its own and show us what we were meant to get from the interview. Literally minutes later, I got the question that I chose for today's episode. I had no idea. Like this just completely just fell into place. And this used the word kismet. That, That was this. Uh, from Lucinda, I felt like she was writing directly to you. Oh, thank uh, you, Lucinda. Yeah. So here's a question. Um, she wrote this. I was sexually assaulted a few years ago, and it really impacted my sexual drive. I feel like it has been stolen from me. Please mm. help. And uh, Lucinda didn't want to share um, specific details, but she was hoping that Dr. Megan and and that we could discuss this a little bit to, to maybe shed a little bit of, of light for her. And I really appreciate it. It's a very brave and vulnerable question. Here is what Dr. Megan Fleming of GreatLifeGreatSex.com had to say. Lucinda, you know, I so appreciate your question because I think it's so important that we realize we are never defined by the experiences that we've had, although understandably they do impact us and in your circumstance, the impact of sexual trauma, but that, you know, ultimately it is possible to reestablish a safe relationship with yourself, your body and a partner and to experience sexual pleasure and potentially through the body rekindling your desires. So, you know, the first thing I wanted to sort of say is that um, your loss of sexual drive is likely sort of the result of sort of that post-traumatic stress, you know, uh, you know, sort of a symptom of that. And it's also unclear whether, you know, the nature of the sexual trauma, because I can certainly say that I would love the opportunity, if it was possible to speak with you in person, to ask sort of those clarifying questions. Um, But it's not uncommon that the body and mind are now incredibly vigilant, right? They're sort of scanning the environment, anticipating, you know, sort of that fight, flight, survival response is getting kicked in, even when you're now currently in a different, completely different situation and with a safe and stable and secure partner. But this is really where the... The work that has to be done is how to have a conversation, so that mind-body conversation, and to extinguish that sort of uh, tension, constricted energy, vigilant response. Um, Because just as there is post-traumatic stress, there's also the opportunity for post-traumatic growth. And, you know, it's... I'm not sure what your sex life and your desire used to look like before. Perhaps you had a lot of spontaneous desire. And I could sort of say that right now, this moment, and probably, um, you know, maybe in the immediate foreseeable future, it's going to be as it is for often many women, even without sexual trauma, what we call responsive desire, meaning this is where your judgment comes in, right? To um, 
when you have found a partner that you're attracted to, that you're interested in, that you have, you know, quite aware of what your needs are to feel safe, to feel secure, to let go because the foundation of arousal relaxation, right? And so um, when you create those conditions, I imagine your body is going to respond in a positive way because it does feel good to the touch and that through the arousal response, your desire is likely to kick in. And I'm also sort of interested in wondering if globally across the board, you've lost your sexual desire and, or, you know, do you still have a desire for self-stimulation masturbation? And also, I don't know whether that was something really enjoyable for you prior to this assault and, or if it's changed, but I think the best way to start discovering right now in this moment in a safe way, how to, you know, in a sense, learn or relearn, um, what feels good. And so this is where masturbation, self-stimulation is so, such an amazing tool on your own, your hand, your fingers, exploring your whole body, also with sex toys. But the importance here is that you're reclaiming, right, that which is your turn on, that which is, uh, feels pleasure in your body, and that which, um, you know, helps you to know and then to be able to ultimately communicate to a partner that this is what you like and this is what your turn-ons are. All that being said, I also want to acknowledge that, you know, sometimes this is more complex and it is absolutely helpful to work with a therapist. And in this context, the therapist I would recommend is probably somebody, well, it's definitely somebody who is ASEX certified, right? So that's the American Association of Sex Counselors, Educators, and Therapists. And so they have a, on their website, ASEC.org, a um, by state, a list of qualified uh, sex therapists. And then through their description in their bio, you want somebody who also has a specialization in trauma. Um, so that combination of someone who's uh, sex, therapy, sex therapy certified and has uh, skills in working with trauma would be an ideal fit. And but that being said, I always say, you know, it's it's a huge investment emotionally, financially, time seeing a therapist. So I always say see more than one, even if it the first one kind of feels like a good fit. It's always good to see more than one to get a better sense of like, okay, you're really embarking on a journey. You really want to make sense that who's the person that makes you feel the most comfortable, who um, just sort of the questions that they ask or how they're engaging with you feels like the right fit. And you know, potentially a step before that and is the role of self-help, right? So Wendy Maltz wrote this book called The Sexual Healing Journey, a guide for uh, survivors of sexual abuse. And it's in the third edition. I highly recommend this book. Um, and I think in, in many ways, reading and self-help is a first place to start, but that when and if you're not making the progress that you know you want to, and I both, you and I both know you're capable of, that is really where the individual work with a therapist, a sex therapist, is really going to be that life-changing difference. So I just want to hold that hope for you, knowing that uh, even though you feel the your experience of sexual desire has changed dramatically or you've been robbed of it, that that's not how your future has to look. And there are many things that you can do to sort of rec reclaim and rekindle your desire. So as always, would love to hear how it goes. Thank you so much, Dr. Megan. I love that you brought up, to your point, what you were saying about... Um, having the right fit therapist. Yeah. I mean, she said even regardless, like yeah. always meet with more than one yeah. and make sure that they are sex therapists who specialize in trauma because 
I think because of our culture, so many medical professionals and therapists, they they may, may not know a whole lot about what sex therapy means. Mm. So if you really want to have that kind of uh, growth, it's good to work with someone expert. And then also masturbation as a wonderful tool. I thought that was really powerful. Um, what would you share with Lucinda? Wow. Um, really enjoyed what the doc said because uh, everything was valid point. Uh, I believe that... Um, huh. Finding somebody that actually has been a survivor and come out on the other side and is now sexually healthy is very imperative because there's sex therapists and there's people who have actually been through it. And it's really hard to come from a place unless you actually know what it feels like to have a conversation with somebody to help them heal. Lucinda, I'm, I'm so brave, such a brave question and so beautiful that you are in touch with yourself enough to know that you are no longer having sexual instincts because of this. Um, Coming from a survivor and who has searched high and low to be able to have a healthy, happy, healed sexual life, there are so many things that I would be able to, would love to give to you. And one of them is it, it becomes really a part of our mind more than our body. Our mind is such a powerful thing and tool that can shut us down at the moment's notice. You know, if you have ever had a great orgasm, it, it comes when you let it all go. And so in that mind, it really becomes finding a way to heal yourself to forgive yourself so that you can feel free again um my after all this happened and i finally came out of the repression i couldn't even look at myself in the mirror i thought i was dirty and disgusting and that nobody would ever want to have sex with me and that i was worth only being taken from and it spent years loving myself and in this because you're newly two years out there's a the self-hate that happens and how can you have great sex if you're still looking at yourself as dirty and gross and that you deserve this and what did I do wrong and how come this happened to me? So one of the exercises that I'll, I'll give to you and I hope that you are able to do is the mirror exercise and part of the mirror exercise is something that changed my life forever. When we have conversations with other people, we can look in each other's eyes. I'm looking at the beautiful August right across from me right now in oh. her eyes, but we don't ever give that to ourselves. I don't mm-hmm. think we give that to ourselves whether we we've been, you know, assaulted or not. So I would ask you to do yourself a favor, begin to have a loving conversation with yourself. It may not be easy. I remember when I first started this, I couldn't look at myself for more than one second without bawling. I thought it was so disgusting. Now I can have a whole hour conversation with myself and I love myself. So I would love for you to give yourself the opportunity to really begin a conversation with yourself so that you can start to begin to Forgive yourself for what's happened to yourself so you can start to be free because touching your body doesn't feel good when you can't even look at yourself in the mirror. Like you can touch your body all you want. You can masturbate all you want. It ain't going to help because believe me, I was there trying to masturbate. Couldn't even couldn't even touch myself because it was disgusting. So I'm asking you to just give yourself a favor to find whatever you need to do to forgive yourself. Um, writing is huge. It's something that changed my life because writing is a way to regurgitate what is inside of you and free it from your soul. So I ask you to take pen to paper, not the computer, but take pen to paper and write out what's happened to you, how you feel about it, how you feel about 
who did this to you. I don't know the details. And to really begin to understand what happened in a way that gives you your power back. When you can tell your story, own your story, honor your story, that is when you start to have sexual freedom again. So I leave you with that. Um, Like the doc said, find somebody that you can speak to. I suggest somebody that has been through sexual trauma themselves. Um, I life coach a lot of women and men that have been through sexual trauma because I'm on the other side of that. And I also say that in that, find somebody that makes you feel safe enough that you can tell every bit of your story without regret, without fear, without shame. Finding a way to come on that the other side of shame is what's really going to give you that sexual freedom. Once you've kind of regained yourself, then you can regain your sexuality. And it may take a minute. It took me a decade and I was able to have sex that was unconnected, unattached, un- Unloving. I could have a lot of really unloving sex, but when I started to try to have loving sex, I couldn't do it. Mm. I could be fucked very easily and I could fuck very easily. But once I started to try to be vulnerable and have sex, my triggers came back up. And that's when I learned that I had to find a way to heal myself, to forgive myself, to love myself. Mm. That's a long roundabout way to say... Find the ownership of your story so that you can own that, free yourself from it, and love yourself enough to be touched and touch yourself again. Hmm. That was very beautiful. Mm. Thank you for it. You speak straight from your heart. And I think, as you, as you said, someone who has been through it will have a, a special empathy that others won't. And you can trust them even more knowing they've been yeah. through it. And because it's really hard to get lessons from somebody who doesn't even know what the fuck you've been through like then I just get mad at them I'm like you don't know me you don't know what it feels like you know we just start (laughs) getting angry Er, right that's true no you're right absolutely and you know I often think sex can be a very healing experience when you're to the point where it can be right and masturbation can be a healing tool Um, so I really appreciate you bringing up the point that for some people it can't be a starting point, Mm-mm. you know, and it's okay. Give yourself that grace yes. to say, I don't need to be ready for this right now. I don't need to, you know, it sounds like she's desiring desire. Yes. Like yes. she wants to feel she, turned yes. on, yes. which is a beautiful goal. Um, and if that's what she wants to do genuinely, then that's that's wonderful. Um, but you also brought up a really important point about your own experience feeling like, you thought you were unworthy. So yeah. it wasn't even about your desire. It was about other people not wanting you, yeah. which is so profound. And I, I heard something recently, uh, Joan Price, who I love. She's a sex educator. She's 70, she's going to be 76. Ooh. And she does wonderful advocacy and education. And she she shared, a, a I think it was a blog post. And she talked about how so many older adults, they don't, want to have sex because they feel they are shriveled up and they just they judge themselves so much that they think they're undesirable it's not even about their own desire right so i love that that switching the the narrative to saying i'm going to look in the mirror i had a mirror moment myself for another traumatic reason um of healing and i relate to that that vulnerability of staring into your eyes for (sighs) 
specifically to connect with yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. not to like look at your body and judge it, but like, yeah, there's you nothing like that. All, you have to look in your eyes, not to the the zit on your face. Mm-hmm. And in that same mirror exercise is what you'll do with your vagina, so that you can look at it and know that it's not dirty. Like coming from my personal sexual assault, like. Because it was all taken from me, I felt I had nothing. And I had to reclaim not just my sexuality, but every part of me, my mind, my body, my spirit, my soul, everything. Because that's what gave me the freedom to actually not just have desire, but to have even better sex than I could ever imagine. Right? And that only comes from the knowing of thyself and really honoring everything that we are. The good stuff, I would say the good, the bad, and the ugly. Like, look, I got to honor the fact that I was a victim of sexual assault as much as I can honor as I was Miss Emporia and went to the Miss Kansas pageant. Like, you know what I mean? All of those are part of my story. So if I only take half of it, then I'm not really giving fully sexually, mentally, emotionally, spiritually any of it. So Absolutely. Absolutely. I would love to hear about your show that oh. I cannot wait to see. Thank you your for buying super your Superwoman show. Huh? Oh, my gosh. I cannot wait. Tell us about the show and uh, the decision to create create it oh wow um oh my gosh I donated a kidney to my cousin and I'm not a big drug person like I never really did drugs but I'm on morphine and I'm in the hospital and I am shucking and jiving telling stories uh, like just having a good time the doctors and the nurses everybody's like pulled around my bed my mom's like mad because I'm not asleep and I'm on morphine and when I came out of that two days of being on morphine and I finally went off I was in the hospital for a total of four days Somebody looked at me and they said, you should write a one-woman show. And I was like, such a pompous bitch at the time. I was like, I am not a writer. I'm an actor. And I'm a dancer and I'm a singer, but I don't write. And I was so, like, pompous. And then I came, because I did it in Kansas, so I came back to Los Angeles. And that little voice kept saying, you should write a one-woman show. You should write a one-woman show. I was like, I am not a writer. And so I... uh Took a class with a friend of mine, Ruthie Otero, who's got a great one-woman show class. I now teach myself, but at that time I wasn't. And I started writing, and everything I wrote was shit. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm just going to write this show about me shucking and jiving. And one day something hit me and said, your greatest obstacle will become your greatest gift. And my greatest obstacle was overcoming rape, gang rape. And, um, And I say gang rape because it wasn't one person, it was three. And um, I was like, I am not writing about that. There's no way I'm telling my story. Oh, hell no, 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 not going to happen. Cut to it happened. And um, I wrote and wrote and wrote and threw it away and wrote and wrote. And one day the show came to me in a dream. And I knew that that was what I was meant to do on this earth. And I couldn't deny it anymore. So I grabbed a friend and he videotaped me. And I transcribed what I saw on this video and created the show. So it is an autobiographical story. It is my story. It is um, how I overcame gang raped and became the woman I am today. But I did it in a way because I happen to think I'm kind of funny. I like laughter. Laughter makes me happy. And so it's a super funny, traumatic show where you get to go on a roller coaster where you get to laugh at one minute and cry the next minute and get to go on a journey the best thing somebody ever saw, said to me was, I saw you go from 17 to the woman you are today, and I didn't skip a beat, and there was not a moment that I missed. And he goes, 
I lost time and space in your story. And I thought, what a gift, a gift to be able to give somebody to go on a journey so not only they get to transform, but we all get to transform. So it's been just such a delight. I know it sounds crazy to tell, you know, to say I'm telling, you know, doing a story about being gang raped, and it's such a delight. I just love it. But it gave me freedom. It gave me ownership. Totally. <laughs> right? It yeah. gave me ownership. And now yeah. they don't own my story. I own my story. Mm. I own my story. You know, in life, Every incident that happens to us, every incident that happens to us, we attach a story to. My sister may see a story differently than I did, but it's the same experience. We all tell the story. So the story that you have, what you make of this, I could say that was the worst thing that ever happened to me. Look, I wouldn't wish it on anybody. There's no way. But that was part of my story. This is what happened to me, and I'm the woman I am today. And if I spent all my life still in the pain of that, then I would not be a healthy, happy woman. And I don't want anybody who's been through sexual trauma to live in that pain because I said the moment I got off that floor, I was a survivor. And the woman I am today is a thriver. And I want to take the word survivor out because we've survived the moment we didn't die in that moment. And we stood up and we walked out. We walked away or we crawled away or we found ourselves on the floor like I did bleeding. The moment I stood up, I knew I'd already survived and I spent my whole life being something more than a survivor, but being a thriver who lives awesome life, you know? So that's the show. The show mm. is hopefully giving people permission to live awesomely no matter what happens to them, right? Yes, right? yes. And it's so perfectly named. Totally. T-O-T-A-L-O-Y. With an exclamation right, point. Right, right. The one... Superwoman show, and it's at the Let Live Theater in Los Angeles. November 8th and 9th. Yes, it's coming right up. It's so exciting. Uh, I'll put a link in the show notes for any Los Angeles people who might be able to make it. If people want to learn more about your work, maybe they aren't in California, how can they stay in touch and follow along? Um, My website's kimleysmith.com, and... um, do I say this naturally? It's all my information is there. I, I always say that people never really reach out, but the people who do get the opportunity to work with me and we've just, oh God, we've been able to work together to change lives, to change their lives. Cha- I get changed every time I work with somebody. So you can reach out to me anytime, any questions. I'm an open book. There's nothing that I hide, as you can tell. And so reach out at KimLeeSmith.com. And this show that's coming up is really a big show for me because it is opening up a door to go uh, on a bigger broader stage and uh, really reach more people. So if you get a chance, come out, come have fun with us, come on the journey with August and I and the rest of the audience. And it's just going to be a fun, fun time. So yay. 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 Thank you for for doing the show, for the work you do, and for joining me today and sharing your your brilliance and your heart. Um, I just, I'm so inspired by you. Thank you. And vice versa. Thank you for having a show that gives people permission to speak the truth. Mm, thank you for that. And if you're enjoying Girl Boner Radio, please hit subscribe if you haven't in your app. You can also leave us a rating and review, which would really help us keep things going. Thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week. Girl Boner Radio is owned, operated, and executively produced by me, August McLaughlin, with technical producer and audio extraordinaire, Mackenzie Mazel, as part of the Period Podcast Network, an affiliate of Starburns Industries. Learn more about the Girl Boner podcast brand movement and book series at girlboner.org and more about Period at periodnetwork.com. <laughs> <laughs>